Life is made of experiences, conversations, and stories. You're not going to find these by laying back and letting Netflix, Hulu, and Disney program your reality. You got to get out there and experience life for yourself. You got to seek those experiences, join those conversations, and listen to those stories that tell a vision and Black Mirror devices don't want you to seek. Welcome to False Reality Check, a podcast where the only role is you must be your real, authentic self. I'm Buffalo. And I'm Legs. Join our conversations as we learn about and break down the lies we've been sold. Laugh, cry, and think with us and our friends as we discuss how we can liberate ourselves from this false reality, one conversation at a time. folks i'm buffalo and i'm legs hello i'm really excited for today's episode he came to visit us so now it's like we're we're catching up on that plus some more interesting things oh yeah yeah oh yeah the man is uh a weaver amongst weavers oh yeah (laughs) he is he's just full of you know intricate knowledge that i don't have the time to look into (laughs) but i trust his his expert opinion that's for sure (laughs) For sure, I agree. <laughs> so today we're joined by our great friend, a weaver, a podcaster, a healer, and a great man. He recently returned home from a road trip and adventure in which he and his lady came to visit us here in Idaho, along with other stops. And he joins us today to talk Jesus, Mercury, and all matters of the solar cult and wordplay. Everyone, please welcome the sage of sound healing, a giant among men, literally, and an overall bear of a man, Chance Garden. Oh, I mean, you can't really be keeping up the giant narrative after we met. I'm not even that giant. You've seen me in the flesh now. <laughs> I mean, everyone's a giant compared to me. <laughs> it's a fun legend. I'm into that. Yeah, I mean, like you said, anyone that's much taller than us, we're, we're always, you gotta, you know, poke fun a little bit. Us, us humongous. Homunculi, homunculus, homunculuses. <laughs> you guys are larger than life, though, in person. You have all this beautiful, expansive land, and compared to your dog, you do seem pretty big. <laughs> Tiny dog. <laughs> That's true. She misses, yeah. so she misses you. you Thank you for the hospitality and sending us home with goodies and uh, home homestead, delicious pickles and bread and all the things. Eggs. Had some legs, eggs. I mean, they're buffalo eggs, too. They didn't come out of legs, but it's more fun to say legs and eggs. They didn't come out of me either, buddy. (laughs) Yeah, disclaimer. Yeah. (laughs) No, that was really cool. Um, you, you You came by on your road trip, and I don't know if you wanted to give us a little, you know, insights onto the things you saw, what you got out of that road trip. Obviously, you picked up someone who's very near and dear to you, and um I don't know, how has your life changed before the road trip, during, after? Um, Yeah, go ahead. I'm getting a lot better sleep. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> uh, doing a longer distance relationship that is now consolidated into the same home is great. A lot less time in the glow box black mirror. And it seems to be helping my circadian rhythms or something. Having better sleep, better dreams. So that's pretty cool. But the event I went out on the trip for, Music and Sky, repping the t-shirt, it was incredible. Put on by Mike Winter of the Alpha Vedic podcast. It was about, I don't know, 300 plus people. If you don't count the kids, there are a lot of kids. They gave us farm to table meals, breakfast through dinner, and all kinds of wonderful speakers and healers and musicians. And it was a full on amazing party in the desert. <laughs> Learned a lot and got to hang out with my favorite uh, teacher of my own, Eileen McCusick, who wrote the book on sound healing, literally. And that was really uh, special for me. I mean, we already knew each other, but to meet in person and hang out was really cool. I, I look up to her a lot. Uh, ended up being a hero that was worth meeting and not <laughs> a letdown at all. Super real human being. And since then, just getting back into the flow of my regularly scheduled programming, doing interverses and vibrants and uh, tuning sessions for people. The tuning sessions have been phenomenal. I even learned something new yesterday that was fascinating about the biofield that wasn't on the map in terms of what uh, was in Eileen's books. and. That's always fun. The process itself is continually revealing more truths within the, <laughs> that the, uh, the body is carrying at all times and like trying to communicate to us. So you guys, I don't know, we should talk a little bit about tuning or the biofield, especially because you and I legs did a session not long ago. I mean, I don't know if you've talked about it on your show yet, but it would be kind of, uh, it's always cool to me when a host has actually gone through it. So <laughs> it's really good uh, promotion. <laughs> yeah, no, if you if you want to touch on it a little bit, I'm more than open. Yeah, I haven't really talked about it to anyone other than you. Um, obviously, you, Chance, you were there and just a couple of people that are close to me. But on the show, I don't think I've even, mm -mm. I haven't mentioned no. it. So yeah, if you want to get into it, we can get into it. I I did a healing session with Chance maybe a month ago Um, now, less than a month ago. Um, and it was a very, it was an amazing experience, mind blowing in that, you know, we're in two separate locations and, uh, it doesn't matter. You can still feel that energy no matter where you are. And, you know, you can, even though I couldn't really hear the tones that were coming out through the fork, I still felt it. Mm. And I felt it in my legs. I felt it in my, my right wrist, which was giving me some problems. You worked on that a little bit. But um, not just physical, I felt things physical, physically, but emotionally some things were brought up that I may not have recognized or paid attention to. Thing, events that um, happened when I was maybe two between, I forgot the age range you gave me was between two and one and two or something. And, um, you know, you're that young. It was like, baby, I'm a baby. You don't remember anything, but certain events that we go through certain energies that are around us at that time tend to stick with us and unknowingly to us and to me affected me in ways that I just never paid attention to. So you brought that out to my, what's the like like forefront. forefront, that's the term I'm looking for. And uh, yeah, it's just about some beliefs that we set about who we are or right. what we deserve. And we forget that we set that belief and it just becomes a background default setting. 
And we're doing that at all times in life. And including when we're a baby, we're deciding who we are, <laughs> formulating that. And it's uh, really great to do the process of playing the tones in the biofield and letting them show us where the body is holding information that constitutes life force energy, not in circulation. Because oftentimes when the beliefs are limiting beliefs, what makes it a limiting belief is for <laughs> for the belief to be uh, made true you know we we create our reality in some some major ways then if the belief has to do with us not deserving something or uh, we would thus hold back some of our life force energy so that that comes manifest right right there's a pretty much that's how it always works the limiting beliefs require us to lose energy and hold energy back away from ourselves so that we can embody the limitation in whatever form it is. Yeah. And you brought it to my attention that I, a lot of my, um, cause we have the donut, you know, there's <laughs> the way you described it. There's a donut on top on, on above the, us. The, the toroidal field. Yeah. 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 The, yeah, the toroidal the donut, field. The hole above and below. <laughs> I like calling it the donut, but the toroidal field, we have one part of it above us and then below us on our feet. And, um, my field below my feet, I guess, was pushed in front of me. Um, whereas in your other sessions, you said usually it's to the right or to the left, but that was one thing that I thought was interesting, but, um, I'm putting more, I don't, how did I describe it? Most of my energy to the right side, like there was more. Yeah. And the front and the right kind of go together. Right. The right, the masculine, it's more future oriented. What's in front of you is your future. Right. So, but yeah, it's not quite as common for me to find the, the holes of so the, just to back up, the hole above and below your head and below your feet of the toroidal field, the holes of the donut, <laughs> for people, it is super common and almost almost 100% of the time when someone go, comes for a tuning, they're off balance a little bit. Their central column where the energy enters and exits their field gets skewed a bit, and it has to do with which side they favor typically, like leaning towards the right for a very left-brained person for example, and most of society's left brain. So yeah, I mean, it's not like <laughs> there's something horribly wrong with you, but it is uh, very helpful to correct that because it ends up people just naturally, their posture will get a little better. They, they won't be as on one foot or the other in terms of how their weight is balanced when they're standing and walking. So that's a, right at the beginning of the process, always line up those holes with the spine more correctly and that makes a big difference yeah and i will say since then i have felt that difference and i'm more in tune to how i stand and not so much paying paying attention but not so much leaning to the right as as much as i used to but trying to stay straight keep aligned um with the corrections that you've made for me and even the vibrant episode that you had this past um wednesday with uh was it what is his name? Pat. Um, yeah, Pat. Patrick. Pat, Patrick, Pat, right? From Pat Life Podcast. You guys should talk to him. He's a really good dude. Yeah, he, he was bringing some things up that I even more just brought me attention, more attention to my body and just how I walk and how he was talking about how people walk and um, our arches aren't really arching anymore. We're more flat footed and... Um, yeah, just being aware of your body, the awareness, even I have even more awareness since the tuning session. And uh, it's key. 
It really is key. But yeah, it was that's a perfect description of what the goal of the process is because awareness is what corrects things. Nature just needs to be in communication with itself for the ecosystem to balance itself. So that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I'm a I'm a believer. I've always been a believer, but even more, I'm just like, damn, this is this really works. <laughs> it's amazing yeah. what our bodies can do and uh what you can do to help others and the gift you were given. Um, yeah, but thank, thank you for that session. I don't know if there's anything you wanted to get into more with that, but uh, that's just an overall gist of it. Mm. Oh no. No, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I talk about tuning on most shows that I go into pretty extensively, so we don't have to linger on that too much. If you guys want to talk about other gravy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We can do that. For sure. I think I might be a little bit in a delay, uh lag or something where you guys are, but we'll it'll sort itself out. I think we're okay. caught up. Yep, we it looks like it's all good, good now. Okay. Yeah. yeah, our internet's been a little funky, so Yeah. If we yeah. if we get kicked off, you might be able to stay in, but we'll come back. We just we're dealing with it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we had this happen with Cheney our last episode, and she didn't know if we were live or not. Um, we got kicked off, but somehow she was still able to be on the stream. So she kind of took over and was just, she brought out her notes and just started Project Cheney on False Reality Check. Um, it was hilarious. <laughs> I'll do the same thing. Yeah. If you guys vanish, I'll just take it away. All right. <laughs> All right. But yeah. Um, yeah. Everyone knows about, you're the tuning master. You're the, everyone knows about that. Sage, so Sage of Sound. I want to, I want to, I want to <laughs> copyright that for you. Sage of sound. Sage of sound healing. <laughs> but um, another thing that you've been doing is narrating books. And uh, you do a fantastic job with that. And there you go. Spirit World. That is the series that you have. Have you, you haven't, you haven't narrated all the books, only a couple of them, right? Or have you done Two all of them? Two of the four. And right. the newest one is A God's Acre for Winds of the Soul. And I'm about 85% done narrating that. So pretty soon it'll be uh, available, but it's not quite yet. It's a bit of a slow and arduous task because I'm having to learn other alphabets and read things in Latin and Greek and whatever. But it's a super valuable skill because as I've been going back to the source material that the author of Spirit World, Dylan Sicoccio, that he uh, draws on, these 1800s, like 1820s authors who were doing this type of work back then, they, they're just like assuming their audience knows how to read Greek. You know, they'll just be like, okay, uh, the great philosopher so-and-so, he says this, and they'll just put a string of a, a sentence in Greek, and then they don't even write the translation after that. It's just like, assume that you can read that. <laughs> so uh, to be able to teach myself the alphabet and sound the words out, I might not necessarily be able to give you a one-to-one -one translation, but I can get the, the gist of it. And, you know, it's like, that is one of the big, I mean, that's the Tower of Babel, right? That we think that we all speak a different language. We think that uh, we're so different and separate when in reality, there's a, there's a universal, universal language that all of what we're using now comes from, the roots of which are still in 
each of the separate languages. <laughs> it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, I actually compare it to tuning in some ways because I realized from doing tunings on people that we are way more similar than we are different. That <laughs> I'm going over the same types of things with each client and the circumstances of their life story might change. But the metaphor I use is that there are infinite paintings in the world. Look at all the great painters of just the Renaissance. They were all using the same seven colors and or nine colors, depending on how you look at it, if you count white and black. But that spectrum is in our language as well. There are these common root elements that just combine and configure into these separate languages. And yeah, once you start to get the keys, I think that's what it's about. I think that's what the spirit world books offer. And, uh, you know, he's not the only author in the, in the history of the world that has put these keys out there, but he does a great job of, and why I endorse the books and why I'm narrating the books is because of what a great value it is to condense the information down to the very specific keys. And if you want to go deeper and further, you can check into the sources he references. And I'm doing that myself. I'm look, I'm checking the receipts, you know, <laughs> but it's uh the keys themselves are a pattern. And once you have the pattern, you will start just unlocking the things on your own and it reveals itself to you more and more. And you see that it's a universal system and that's hard for people. <laughs> you know, my, I think honestly, it's a little surprising. And this isn't like a call out or whatever. I love all my heathen friends, but I've noticed that the self-identified heathens and like uh, Odinists and Norse people are the ones most resistant to the idea that their gods and their pantheon are the same as the Greek, the same as the Egyptian, the same as the Hindu, the same as what became Christianity. You know, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm just using them as an example because any of these groups of people can get a little touchy about it or a lot touchy about it. But it doesn't take, this is the point I've been trying to articulate better lately, is that it doesn't take away from an individual culture's tradition or uniqueness to go and find the universality of their system with whatever this language of the sun, if you want to call it that, secret language of Ohm, the original source wisdom. Because when you think about morality, which is kind of the purpose of religion, and you think about uh, the allegory to nature that these stories are creating, where it's telling you about the, like all mythology is telling you about the sky clock and the sky clock is telling you about the cycles of nature and how life builds in the order of operations mathematically that it does things. So to me, it's like, duh, of course it's going to all, <laughs> if there's any value to a mythology or a, a cultural system, it would be, how does it reflect nature? Other way, other way of saying, where's it? What's the truth in it? Well, the truth is singular. <laughs> the truth is what it is. Nature is what it is. You might have some variety based on your region, like how nature does things or what time of year, what happens, northern, northern and southern hemisphere, yada, yada. But I mean, it's only logical that if you were getting to distill the wisdom of what whatever tradition had to say in its mythology down to like the core message or what the original intent was that it would be the same from one place to another, right? I mean, morality is what it is, no matter what culture you're from, unless you're a moral relativist. And then, <laughs> then I guess all, anything's on the table, which is what we're seeing in our mainstream right now. So I'm not trying to take away the value of people's traditions. I'm not trying to say that like, 
you can't have a personal relationship with Buddha or Jesus or Mercury or Odin or any of these uh, fictional characters. <laughs> Triggered. Because I myself, I told this on Vibrant the other night, and I may have mentioned it a few other times at different points in my life, but I myself did a like spirit guide meditation and like sought to connect in sort of a shamanic inner world journey type way with a drum and rattle track like who's my spirit guide i want to connect to a spirit guide and go within and have this visionary quest experience and like i'm trying to meet somebody that who's gonna teach me something or, or show up who's gonna show up and you know who showed up was gandalf <laughs> i had an experience of gandalf as a spirit guide talking to me and teaching me things and i was like okay this gives me a lot of context to what's going on here because that means that I mean, from this is subjective to me, but like, just because we're discussing fictional characters, literary characters, when we're talking about any of these gods or goddesses, people are going to push back on that because maybe they have had like a near death experience and Buddha showed up or, or any of these uh, individual uh, gods and goddesses might show up and talk to them or guide them. And yo, <laughs> I'm not saying they didn't, but I am saying that like where they came from is uh literary tradition and it's allegorical and that the, so it's like tricky because obviously thoughts are things on some level or thought forms are created and so i'm kind of going all over the map and i'll kick it back to you guys to ask questions but like to just give uh my direct opinion on what's going on there is i think language is the metaverse I think the metaverse is just like metaverse 2.0 and the first one was language because what is the metaverse that we know of online made out of language? <laughs> so when we have a language system and we've gone beyond just the primal ooh and ah and ma means mom and like, you know, psychic or tele telepathic communication, empathic inference of I want this, ooh, ooh, ooh. You know, when we're beyond that level and now we're coming up with narratives and stories and allegories and mythologies that creates this type of, in my opinion, it creates like this layer in the psyche, the collective consciousness or the collective unconscious that Jung uh, talks about. And this layer is an overlay that com comes down like the letters and the code of the matrix in the movie. And it's actually filtering our reality through this thing called language. And it's gotten so severe that human beings are now like by default, they're defaulting to language over reality, right? So this is a perfect topic for false reality check is <laughs> which is the real reality? Is it the words or is it the feelings? Is it what we're conscious of or is it what we're describing or expressing? And humanity has generally gotten this inverted lately or for quite a while that the map has become the terrain i mean just ask anybody do you know how to get home without the map app on your phone what is the reality is it the google map or is it where you actually are in the time space continuum of right now <laughs> you know and this when you really like start to contemplate this you realize that it's across the board that you know we think that the the number on the clock is what time is when time is a subjective experience the flow of which can change depending on our level of aperture of our present moment awareness. And you know, the Greeks had two words for time. They had chronos, which is the measured time, which is the number on the clock. It's 
the cycles of the, the heavens. Then they had curios, which is subjective time. And I know from tuning subjective, because sometimes an hour tuning will be like over in what feels like minutes. And then other times will be there the same amount of chronos time. And I felt like we just were there for three hours and that's subjective. I get it. But what is subjective time? It is our personal spiritual development or evolution across in motion and movement. So when we're in a rat race, going to the same office every day, five days a week, Monday through Friday are the exact same. And we're dragging ass through it. And we're like, when will, t- when will it end? And it feels like it's taking forever subjectively. But then we look back on our memories of that time. And it's like a blip. It's like we made no, we formed no memories. <laughs> so then you have times in your life where you like go on a big trip or an adventure, or you're living a homesteading life like you guys are, where you're responding in the, in the now to what needs done. And it's a little different every day. And you're probably forming memories differently than you did when you were working normie jobs, right? So subjective time or curios is your real felt experience of your development across the moving plane of, you know, forward progression of life. So whenever we're in stasis and we're not developing our soul level, our spirit level, then we're just in this chronos time and that's slavery. So if if Kronos is first <laughs> and Curios is second or, or not even at all, you're in the metaverse. You're in the, you're, you're a slave. You're in, you know, the matrix, whatever you want to call it. Matrix isn't even a good word for it because it just, that word just means womb. And that's just demonizing <laughs> the, the divine feminine and the nature of the realm, which is that it is a giant womb, in my opinion, that it's like wombs within wombs. And it's like this weird fractal Russian dolls thing. But, uh, that's what I think needs to be overall overcome for humanity is to recognize the proper order of things. That it's not that we need to throw out chronos or throw out language. It is that we need to put feeling before it. We need to realize that we become conscious of something and then it expresses in the universe or through us rather than expecting the expression to then us become conscious after the expression. So it's like getting it backwards. And we all know this is true from our own personal subjective experience of like, you think of someone and then they call you, you became conscious of it and then it expresses, right? And this is what the law of attraction cults try to teach, but they don't do a good job of, or, you know, (laughs) when people are talking about manifestation, it's about getting your conscious mind back to a more of a blank slate and holding the energy and consciousness of what it is that you're trying to alter or manifest and then waiting and allowing, letting it happen for it to express in the world rather than thinking, you know, (laughs) after it happens in the world, then I'll, then I'll have it. It's sort of like, it's kind of hard to articulate in short, but it is also simple, but that like the basis of the whole message that I try to bring forward lately (laughs) to syncretize all the different things that I'm interested in is that uh, we we just need to get the order of operations of what we're doing in order. (laughs) Like uh, language is there to describe what we're conscious of rather than to be the reality for us, right? Language or time as we measure it is there for us to align and syncretize to each other. But like, uh, you know, we were a few minutes later than the Kronos time on the clock starting because we knew that that's what felt correct. And we flowed with that. So, Anyway, I've been on a long ramble. I'm going to pause there. I left a lot of threads in my brain that I need to pick up again as we go. But 
<laughs> I need questions from you guys because I want to know the direction you want to go rather than me just rant. <laughs> well, I mean, it was a good rant nonetheless, but I feel like, um, so if we could just get back to spirit world and the book and what it discusses in general. And from my understanding, and this is just me, and we talked about it when you were here, I feel like if you're going to have this book, if you're going to listen to it, have the book and listen to it at the same time, just because um, for us listening to it, although we like hearing your voice, it's better to actually see what he's talking about because there's so many references to to different parts of the alphabet, of different alphabets. There's so many different uh, language breakdowns that you can tell if you're really listening to the audio, you can tell the differences, but it's better to see it visually so it's easier to spell out for you. So I would just throw that out there. But the book itself kind of breaks down the origins through language, um, you know, the origins of words and religions and kind of the, there's a intertwining system of manipulation, so to speak, behind the scenes using language or language is kind of a remnant of this kind of system that they created where they've weaved astro theology into and around almost every faith or religion that exists. So one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the connection between, and, and this is something I don't have a problem accepting. Some people that might listen might have an issue accepting, but the, the connection between Jesus, Mercury, the sun, uh, Hermes, Odin, are all of these characters, let's call them, are all of these characters one in the same? Yeah, they totally are. <laughs> they're one in the same because they're, you've heard of the Trinity, right? Yes, it's of a course. Wild, wildly misunderstood doctrine that has been changed and corrupted over time by various sects that have gotten a hold of it. But the Trinity is uh, one of the hallmark concepts that shows you the similitude between all the different systems. Now, think about, okay, so where to start? Think about how in the Catholic faith, they worship Mary, mother of God, and they worship Mary as if she's God, you know? That's because they are Trini they're Trinity believers, and for them, Mary actually is Jesus, is God. So to come back to like a really early, or like maybe the most original way of looking at this concept of the Trinity is sacred geometry. And I'm going to describe this. It's simple. The very beginning of the process of sacred geometry, you have the monad, which is a point or a circle. So that is your father, the potter. Potter, like you, potter, Jupiter. Potter is pattern. Potter is rock. Potter is father. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Um, I believe that potter means father even in hinduism i'd have to like <laughs> i didn't prepare notes but i can kind of do some so, uh, <laughs> this is exactly like, like the start of christianity peter right saint peter was like the first apostle peter potter same thing exactly exactly i mean the entire it's hilarious but the entire supposed jurisdiction of the catholic empire is founded on a wordplay a pun which is upon this rock i found my church or whatever the verse is talking about Jesus giving Peter the so-called authority to be the Pope, you know, but upon this rock, Peter means rock. <laughs> it's like, 
<laughs> Come on. <laughs> it's a, it's a metaphor. It's an allegory. And people don't like that. Okay. So anyway, the hit, the, um, the Sanskrit word, by the way, for father is pitar. So like when you say Jupiter, <laughs> you know, Jupiter, the, the similarity between Sanskrit and Latin is off the chain. I mean, when you get into the, there, it takes about eight or 10 same words between languages before you've gone into astronomical odds of them being different. And we're talking like hundreds of words being similar and especially the ones relating to uh, scripture and symbolism and mythology. But to go back to this um, Trinity idea and you have this potter, the pattern, which is a circle. And the reason why that's the pattern is because if you're familiar with like the flower of life, the seed of life, different symbols of sacred geometry, the pattern is circles, multiple circles, right? So that's your pattern, your potter, monad. It becomes two. It mirrors itself. It mirrors itself. Who is the mother to the father? Mary. Mary is the mother of Jesus. Mary, Mary, <laughs> you know, mirror. We're talking about it's mirroring itself. So other sun gods would be Adonis, a big, a big time sun god. Adonis's mother is Mira. <laughs> oh my There's gosh. tons we could talk about with Adonis because Adonis is also Kronos, is also the sun, but uh mother who's the mother of mercury it is maya maya mira mary maya who is the mother of buddha maya <laughs> what do they call and what do they call uh the world of illusion in hinduism the 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 fake world the matrix that uh, they call it maya <laughs> oh my god well, that might be buddhism i could be mixing that up no but, that's that's no hinduism. no that's that's Hinduism, yeah. Maya in Buddhism is the mother of Buddha. So, right there, these major systems you have uh, all named after all the mother goddess figure, mother of the savior, is the same name, basically, just barely different. And when you're familiar with like even different dialects of the same language, think about how people speak in the South versus in the North in just our language of English. We're all talking the same written language, the vowels completely change even though the same vowel is written or like the most dramatic example I like to give is the New Zealanders versus us. Like if I was to say the word Omega, I'm saying Omega, but a New Zealander would say Omega <laughs> or Omega. Like the, it's like a long E. So anyway, they just completely vowels completely are interchangeable because of that very, very thing. So when it comes to syncretizing language, you can go pretty hog wild with just swapping out one vowel for other vowels to see what else is going on there phonetically. And it might seem like stretching, but the pattern always reveals itself when you do that. Or you're looking at uh, so-called ancient Hebrew, which is not an ancient language, in my opinion, it was probably created in the Middle Ages. You have, uh, it's probably a cipher language. It's way too retarded to ever have been written or uh, used. <laughs> but, <That's> hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they, they don't have vowel points in their older, their fake older writings. I say fake because I believe that that particular tradition is like many others uh, trying to pass itself off as older than it is to gain some sort of uh, authenticity in or credibility that it doesn't really have, you know, and that system is even particularly grabbly because um, they're like, they're taking the ancient mystery tradition, the ancient mystery cult, and they're hiding it behind their system called uh, Kabbalah, 
and saying that they created it and they originated it and Moses received the information from on high. So remind me to talk about Moses later, <laughs> but to continue this Trinity thing, right? I know I was just going off on tangents, but that's kind of how this thing is. You have the circle, the monad, it becomes mirrored, married. <laughs> He's, he gets married. <laughs> God gets married to his own reflection. And that's the mother, Mother Mary. Now, when you put those two circles together, so uh, Jesus is at the right hand of God, right? So uh, this mirroring occurs, and now you have two circles that are overlapping slightly because one circle goes to the right of God. Now, in between those two circles where they overlap, you have the shape called the vesica piscis, which is also your where your similar to your Pisces symbolism, it's a yoni. It's an oval. It's a yoni. It is where the <laughs> uh, Mary is shown with this coming, and often Jesus is coming out of this vesica uh, symbol all the time. So that's kind of the magic of the one becoming two, is that when the monad reflects itself, actually a third person appears in it. So you have the two circles, and then there's a new shape between them, which is where the child is coming from. So the one that's in the middle is kind of the second person, if you're looking in order. The second person is the mediator, the preserver, the savior, the mercury. In alchemy, mercury is the one that's mediating between two sides, right? The positive and the negative, the mirror. <laughs> so uh, in the second, in the, after the monad, you get the duad. But the, the duad has this mystical aspect of also containing the son or the, the child. So the mother, the, it's kind of like when you think of how when a, someone gets pregnant, man or woman, <laughs> in modern times, so now it's possible. <laughs> oh they, have the, uh, <laughs> they have the child inside of them. So they're two in one, right? And in, in a this is where it starts to get confused. This is my opinion, by the way. I'm not giving any other authors' opinions with this particular statement, but I think um, this idea of the uh, the second person of the Trinity being the the mediator, also the third person of the Trinity being the Holy Ghost, uh, they get confused about who's the second and who's the third person, and that's not important. But what is important is that over time, the quality of the uh, the negative half, if you will. The, fem the female half, the mirrored side, has been confused in the sense that the, uh, the, they're the, the Holy Ghost, if you will, or the, the goddess, is the regenerator and the destroyer. So this is where we get the idea of uh, Eve being evil, <laughs> evil, <laughs> um, because she's the, the feminine side to God uh, to talk about, to syncretize Eve a little bit. Man, I know I'm just going to go all over the map here. It's the best I can do because this is such a vast topic. But, it's all good. No, it's, it's all good. good. We've heard of, we know the name Jehovah, right? Yeah. yad Hey vav Hey. We know that. These are the Hebrew characters that are the four-letter name of God, the Tetragrammaton. yad Hey vav Hey can transliterate into English letters in a variety of ways. So one of the ways is, as we know, Y-H-V-H or J-H-V-H, thus Jehovah. But one way that they don't really like you to look at is that Yod can be I and Vav can be, oh, I'm sorry, He can be E, Vav can be V, and He can be E. They put the He is H or E. 
just like the Greek letter eta is an H or an E. So there's like a huge interchangeability between H and E. And in fact, the Greeks don't even pronounce H's. So Helios, as we would say, the Greeks would say Elios, L. We know who L is, Elios. So we have the four letter name of God, the Tetragrammaton, yad heh vav -Heh, in English becoming I-E-V-E, Eve. Oh shit, now all of a sudden the father is the mother. <laughs> Eve is Jehovah. Uh-oh, uh-oh, this is Trinity shit. Uh, Adam and Eve are the three persons of the Trinity. And the serpent is uh, another person of the Trinity, depending on, it's all just so confused because there's, the stories get taken literally over time and the new writers come and add to it and yada, yada, yada. But so to continue about um, this Eve and serpent, right? You have Bacchus, who's one of the solar savior mediator characters. Bacchus is another version of Jesus. It's a solar character. I mean, if you here's an example of why Bacchus is Jesus. <laughs> the monogram in Greek of Bacchus was the three letters, Upsilon, Eta, Sigma. And it basically looks like IHS. Uh, it's not exactly that. I mean, it becomes the IHS that they use in the Jesuit logo. Okay. <laughs> Buffalo is laughing over here because <laughs> I went That's to Catholic the, school. Yeah, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's when they put the IHS up there. That's Bacchus. They've just corrupted the monogram of Bacchus. So the Upsilon is more of a Y letter in the original Greek, but that's where IHS IHS came from. The uh, Upsilon Eta Sigma. All right. So <laughs> yeah, it's Bacchus cult, dude. <laughs> he's cracking up from Catholic school. It's great. So yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And the transliterated uh, I or uh, Upsilon Eta Sigma basically into English letters could give you uh, a lot of different possible possibilities like um, Hughes is an interesting one, H-U-E-S. So even being called humans, we are Hughes men. <laughs> like... We are, we, you know, like that's, he's our preserver, mediator, savior. He's the, the one in between us and the gods. But the other thing that's wild is that Bacchus was worshiped in some areas as a serpent named Eve, but they also knew it was Bacchus. So, you know, and in the Targums, the uh, Jewish scriptures, the Targums, Adam is the one tempted by the serpent, not Eve. And then Eve gives, but who gives Adam the apple in the Christian version? Eve does. Eve and the serpent are really the same character. So the uh, regenerator and destroyer are the same being. And then that's gotten confused over time by many different traditions, whether it's like uh, Oromazdes and Araman in the Persian or, you know, uh, Satan <laughs> being the, the so it's kind of fascinating because about the same time that the destroyer regenerator uh, persons of the Trinity got kind of separated and confused it was also the time that calendars went from three seasons to four seasons. There didn't used to be a fall. It used to be spring, summer, winter. And oddly enough, that's also the same time where they kind of created a fourth God out of the Trinity, made it a quaternity and said, you had, you know, Mary, uh, God, Jesus, or God, Jesus, Holy ghost and Satan, you know, but it's in important to know that the regenerator, is the same as the destroyer when we're talking about the Trinity, because when you look at the, <laughs> when you look at the, uh, the new old Testament Genesis story, right? 
I'm sure you know this, Buffalo. What's the first verse, Genesis 1-1, in the KJV or, or whatever version you're familiar with? In the beginning, there was nothing. Okay, so the version I'm familiar with, I think KJV, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Does that sound right to you? I think you're right. I th- yeah. I'm familiar with that uh, coming from a Christian background. I'm like, I'm looking um, for my That Bible. was the, I think it's in the other room. I think that's what was Chance. I agree with Chance's. Yeah. Okay, so what it actually says in the Hebrew is bar rashit, and that's what they're translating as in the beginning. Bar rashit means son of wisdom or by wisdom. So already it's not in the beginning, it's by wisdom. And we can talk about why that is. And then it goes on to say, I won't give you the full Hebrew because I don't have it memorized, but it goes on to say, Basically, the more accurate translation is by wisdom or the son of wisdom <laughs> created the heavens and the earth from matter previously existing. All right. So when they're saying wisdom, they're talking about words like archi or pal- uh, palace, P-A-L-L-A-S, like palace, Athena, um, Minerva, the goddesses of wisdom, of which there are many, many, many examples of this, or uh, Rashid is the Hebrew word that is referring to wisdom. Wisdom is important because this is the doctrine of wisdom or the doctrine of emanations. And the wise, <laughs> the wise is the uh, lover of wisdom is Sophia. So this is where the Gnostic Sophia comes from as well. Sophia is wisdom in that particular version, but that's also, that's the same person as Eve. And so by wisdom or bar, which is, son like uh, offspring the son or the seed of wisdom so in this sense the um, the creator of the world the demiurgos is the son of the goddess of wisdom so the uh, the father the pater they they never depicted the first person of the trinity with like statues or sculptures or inscriptions or carvings because this was the invisible first cause you, you couldn't depict because it was formless. It's the pleroma. It's the all. So the all is also the same as like nothing. It's invisible. It's spirit. It's life force energy. But there, that's why you needed that. They had this doctrine of the mediator or of in this Trinity, the uh, preserver, the savior, the one that you actually talk to, <laughs> to be good with the pot or the father. And that would be whoever the version of the character was, whether it was Thor or Buddha. And we can get into some of like the names of Buddha and syncretize some of that more as we go. But uh, <laughs> we have, um, okay, so where was I? Okay, where was I? <laughs> give, me, give me a cue. I lost it. You were, okay. You went so many places, okay? We, we, did, <laughs> we did Trinity. Um, you were talking about just Eve and that inversion. And Eve is the serpent. Apparently, even the serpent are the same. Yeah. Um, this is all, this probably makes more sense to you because you went to Catholic school and yeah, you have just, more of a background than I do. That just blew me away because I'd always see the IHS above Jesus whenever they have him depicted <laughs> in like an icon. And I, I asked a priest, I asked several priests, like, what does that mean? Because I'm not Catholic. I ask questions because I, I just want to know. And he said that it had to do with how they would, uh, uh, title jesus in ancient greek 
and it was like ikdu something something and he and he like spouted off some like greek terms that i'm like okay and at that time i just i went with okay but the way i'm learning now the way i'm understanding now all of these traditions feel very set up mm. you know uh by something by someone i'm not sure but this obviously seems uh it seems like there is some sort of tie in between all these different faiths. I know you're probably going to go into Yeah, they okay, so the Catholics claim that IHS stands for Jesus Hominem Salvator, which is Latin. Mm. Which means Jesus Savior of Mankind, but <laughs> it it comes from the older Bacchus monogram Upsilon Eta Sigma. 100% for sure. <laughs> they think that it comes from the the Latin Jesus Savior of Mankind, but anyway, I kind of cut in there. Um do you want to say more before I, I jump on the next flow? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Maybe, maybe I'm ready. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> take, take a breath. All right. Um, yeah, for me, it's because you said a lot of this stuff for some people can be a stretch. And I'll, I'll play devil's advocate. It does seem like a stretch because you're, you're just naming all these words out. And for someone... And all these phrases and for someone um that hasn't looked at any of this it's kind of like what what are you talking about or the or the origins of those yeah words. The, like where where is your research coming from i guess and i know dylan dylan is great the author of spirit world he's great at citing his sources and i guess for those that that don't have the time to go look where where are these sources coming from like where are you getting this info and then i don't know we can just build that's off great that. man yeah that's a great question um before maybe get into more of the actual syncretism uh one of the biggest sources dylan draws from and one that i've been heavily investigating myself is godfrey higgins an author from the 1800s uh basically his story is he set out to do he set out to try to figure out the origins of religious systems because he saw all the superstition around him. And he was like, I just want to figure out well, where this is coming from. <laughs> What's going on? So his goal was like, he planned to do six hours of study for 10 years, six hours of study a day for 10 years. He was like, I'm going to, I'm setting myself to this task, right? He winds up doing 10 or 12 hours a day for 20 years. <laughs> Holy crap. So, uh, <laughs> I don't, I, I meant to have these books handy just so you can see how big they are, but like I have his, his uh, two volume work, Anacalypsis. It's like this thick. Wow. And the, the text is like super tiny because printing was expensive back then. And it's kind of hard on my eyes, but he is a really good source because he had, like they gave him access to the Vatican archive. Oh, wow. I don't know why. They let him go look in the Vatican archive at one point. Was he so, the last one to go look at the Vatican archive? I don't know, but things things were a lot looser back then with control of information and a lot less confused and grappled. One of the problems with the age of information is everybody that gets their voice out there can just say, this is what I think it is. And there's a lot of noise. So um, when it comes to like, where where is this coming from? So Dylan, he does a good job of either, his sources are either, like the early church fathers, like Justin Martyr or St. Augustine, characters like that. So coming from the horse's mouth in terms of the Vatican or uh, inscriptions, carvings that are still 
around in physical real world artifacts or coins or, you know, architecture, things like that. So we're, we're looking at the physical remnants of the past that haven't been able to be changed. And also the roots in language, which no matter what, you can't really get rid of. So we're not really like relying on opinions very much to do this syncretism. We're looking at, we're just looking at the, we're finding the common threads etymologically through the languages that are definitely there. (laughs) And it helps to know some certain tricks, certain tricks like uh, between Sanskrit and Latin and between many languages, the, the V sound and the B sound switch, the V and B or the W and the M switch between those languages, they flip. So there's a, there's a lot of little tricks like that. We all know probably that uh, Asian people have trouble with L's and R's switching. That is another example. So uh, <laughs> um, think about like how this applies to uh, Mercury, Mer, Mercury, right? Well, Mary and Mercury. Mary, we already established that Mercury's mother is Maya, who is similar to Mary. But even in the name Mercury, you have the mer, which means sea, right? Well, and this is something maybe I didn't articulate. I kind of did. The goddess and the child are kind of one. They're like two and one. So Mercury, who is Hermes, is also Hermaphrodite or Venus Urania. Uh, Even Zeus is said to be male and female by the old by the really old uh, philosophers that all things come from the womb of Zeus or Jupiter. But we, we get the versions of mythology, the Hollywood action flicks and the comic books where Zeus is the burly man. And, you know, and so most of people's ideas of these mythologies are from fictional stories and not that the mythologies aren't fictional stories, but like we're playing a game of telephone where people are just taking like, I think this is cool and sharing that part or even altering it on their own. So the goal is to go back to the most basic original core tenets of the systems and looking at the languages themselves and drawing any conclusions or claims from that and not from people's fantasy storybook opinions. And, you know, because for most people, (laughs) religion is like Lord of the Rings and they it's not any different. I mean, it's crazy stories like Samson killed a thousand men with the jawbone of an ass. And we're meant to believe that that's real. Yet when you go look into the star, the sky clock and look at the constellation Orion, where uh, the guy with the club, who is also Samson, you find that the names of the stars in the Sumerian and Akkadian um, Arabic languages refer to things like an ass, a jawbone, a thousand men, killing. Like when this is what goes on. So part of what goes on with them that is really lost on, on moderns and has been intentionally concealed, I think, is that the priestcraft, the priesthood, the astronomers who were priests of the ancient world, and this still goes on up to today, even in Hollywood, uh, but just kind of, it's just kind of concealed and on their surface, they would come up with their mythologies, their stories, their histories of their nations, even by looking at. Well, the word for it in Sumerian is Lumashi, and it refers to constellation writing or star scriptures in the stars. And what they're doing here is they're looking at the constellations. They're looking at their proximity to each other. 
they're looking at the names or what's called asterisms, which is the name of a single star in the constellations, and they're drawing a story out of that. So an example would be there's the Pegasus Square constellation, right? The Pegasus Square is in the winter half of the zodiac, if you're in the northern constellations, meaning the, uh, <laughs> the water side, the chaos, the hell side. Because when you understand the metaphor of heaven and hell, you're actually, we're actually looking at um, summer and winter, basically. That the, the real value in these systems has nothing to do with the metaphysics of other planes of existence and things beyond the knowability of human senses. And it's more about like, what is nature doing? How are we allegorizing and describing nature? Because you need to freaking know when it's time to plant something. <laughs> you need to know when winter is coming. You could die. Right. Especially in the northern climates where you have you guys know you're in Idaho. So anyway, this Lumashi star writing, constellation writing is back to the Pegasus Square. An example of that would be you have the water half of the zodiac, the flood, the literally near Aquarius, who is uh, also where the character Jehovah or Yahweh comes from in some in some opinions. Right. The man holding the water. Uh and you have this square in the water. So this, oddly enough, is where you get the idea of uh, Utnapishtim's Ark during the Great Flood, who is the Sumerian version of Noah, being shaped like a square. <laughs> it's also like, I mean, there's geometrical reasons in sacred geometry with the cube that uh, tell, you why, tell, tell you why the cube is venerated and like Mercury was revered as a black cube and the muslims have the kaaba that is a cube and there's a lot of cubic stuff Lu lucas king can tell you about the sacred geometry of the cube and all the no sacred numbers that drive out of that but the point being it's obviously silly that the, to have the idea of an arc or a boat being a square right where's where's that coming from in the sumerian scriptures and the epic of gilgamesh that utnapishtim's arc was a square it's coming from the Pegasus Square, which is in the middle of the waters of that half of the Zodiac, the water half of the Zodiac. This is also the Garden of Eden. God separated the heavens and the earth, separated the waters from the waters, raised the land up. And this square has stars in it that, depending on how you do the wordplay and read between the lines of the names of the stars and in different languages that the priests of back when this mythology was created, had access to. So they'd be looking at their language, like Sumerian. They'd be looking at maybe a neighboring country's language, like Akkadian or something. And they'd be looking at the wordplay of the phonetics, like, okay, within this word, it's a compound word of this sound and this sound and this sound. And so long story short, in the Pegasus Square, you have encoded in the names of the stars, the idea of an apple, a tree, uh, like a serpent. I mean, just to cut a long story short, and I'm still doing research, I'm still fresh into the research of the Sumerian aspect of this because that's a whole nother, a whole nother culture and rabbit hole, but it's all, it all lines up. And it's also got a lot of the origins of the mythologies because like these are Oriental doctrines that the Western nations have taken on and made their own and claim that they're the original source of. Remind me to talk about Moses. <laughs> so anyway, in this Pegasus Square, where the land is raised up out of the waters of chaos, the beginning, uh, you have 
all the components of the story of the Garden of Eden in the words and the names of the stars. So they're reading, they're making puns and word plays out of the names of things, out of the various languages that they could apply to it that they had access to. And in that interplay and what's near each other in the order that they follow in the sky clock is where they're coming up with mythology. And so this is their idea of the logos or the word that they thought that if they, they were doing what like me and Gabe do, they're doing syncretism. They're like finding all the connections and reading between the lines and looking for the word plays and the puns. And, but to them, when they would find something that was truth, that was something true was being conveyed. And they might like symbolically be right about that, but they were taking it to the nth degree and being like, this is the actual, this must be the history of what happened far back in the past before we have records that it's in the stars. It has to be up there. It's the star scripture. It's the Mashi. And, uh, we still get this today and throughout, I mean, like whenever a conquering empire or an upstart king would take over a region, they, he would take the astronomer priest hostage. The word home, the name Homer means hostage. Like the guy who wrote the, the supposed guy who wrote the Iliad and, yeah. you know, means hostage. <laughs> so they would take the astronomer priest hostage and be like, all right, come up with a history of our kingdom that justifies our divine right of rulership. And they would do it through looking at the stars and be like, okay, um, now this Orion guy is, is also this king. And they would actually even be putting the royals and, and figures in the emperors into the sky clock and overlaying them. And, add, and so more and more meanings would be added like, and so you also have to be aware that our version of the Zodiac and the ecliptic and the constellations isn't the only version. And these astronomer priests had access to multiple, multiple versions. So they would know that uh, the sign of Aries is a ram, but also that the sign of Aries is a cherubim with a sword who is to the east of the Pegasus Square or the Garden of Eden, guarding it with the flaming sword. So like all the, all the scriptures are Lumashi, star writing, provably so. The, the difficulty in conveying this is that like to, to be fully convinced, maybe you need to go through 30, 40, 60 hours of fine-tooth comb looking at all the minutiae of how, yep, no matter what I look at, the story is there in the stars if I, if I cross-reference it <laughs> or if I have access to the linguistics necessary to do so. So that's where scholars like um, John McHugh who's a new one that I've been getting into recently, who's got the, the goods on the Sumerian version of this. He's wrote a book called uh, The Celestial Code of Scripture, and he's decoding the Quran and the Bible through this lens and tying it back to the Akkadian and Sumerian Lumashi from their cuneiform writing. And then Dylan, who is really just taking the, the most helpful and expedient nuggets of information from ancient sources like your Macrobius or Philo or these early church writers and distilling it into uh, just the quick reference to the, the major keys in the linguistics and in the symbolism that let you know what you're looking at, no matter what version of it you're looking at. And this is so important because <laughs> what has happened is we have been, we've, we've been for a long time suffering under the yoke of this a uh, middleman parasite vampire system where across the board, the entire structure of society is this fractal reflection of 
how the uh, we've allowed our our authority to be put into man rather than in truth. You know <laughs> that our our priests have given across time have been our mediators to the divine or to God and how we now have a mediator or middleman between us and our food, between us and our, our currency, between us and our knowledge or our science. And like, when you think about it, how many things that you are actively engaging in your daily life or consuming or using, do you actually know where it came from? Like, and so think about that symbolically. Do we know our source? Do we know our source? And that's why what you guys are doing homesteading is so massive, because if you can know the source of your food and it's you, you're free. <laughs> you're like, that's, that's freedom. So if we can know the source of our connection to the divine and that it's us, <laughs> or we can know our source and know that we are our source, that we are self-generated uh, eternal beings, then that's also freedom. We're connecting to spirit. So like across the board, the key to abrogating this vampire middleman system where the, uh, the grabblers are taking something off the top, their 10%, their ten, that 10% is super uh, symbolic. Why it's 10% for tithe? Because the sun is 10, say 10. It's symbol, like one of the main symbols of the sun is the X. X marks the spot. X is 10 in a, a lot of number systems. Uh, it's also the T or the Tau. What the mark of the beast is, is the, the cross on the forehead. A cross is an X, actually. The cross on the forehead that the Mithric, Mithraic cults would wear that uh, Ezekiel refers to in the Old Testament, uh, a sign on the forehead. In this sign, you shall conquer of Constantine. This is the mark of the solar cult. And the the beast is the sun <laughs> because in the age of Taurus it was the sun was a bull it was the apis bull you have words like um to, that they give you a clue to that like in Hinduism they refer to the avatar of Vishnu is Krishna and uh, <laughs> Krishna and, Krishna and Vishnu are the same being is basically what that means avatar a uh, A-V-A, Ava. Well, V and B switch between Latin and Sanskrit. So you have Abba. Ab means father. Tar. Tar is the bull or the cross, the tav. So Abba, Tar. The avatar is the avatar, the father bull, the apis bull of Egyptian mythology, the bull that symbolized the sun during the age of Taurus, the time when uh, the spring equinox was in May, and thus we have that Beltane, Bel, Bel is the sun, Beltane May Day holiday that pagans celebrate because it's an ancient tradition going back to an earlier age of zodiacal procession. So um, I don't know. I left a lot of threads there. You guys have any questions? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, something that you said that I'm kind of like, I have a question on that is that you were saying like they they used the stars and they input their value i guess into the stars you know that this group needed jesus to be this one this group needed um you know hermes to be this one who is they who who is the they behind this priest class this priest class that's the mafia <laughs> yeah the, like they. the sicilians the they is the mafia so, so when you go back to the ancient world the think about like where a lot of family names come from smith baker etc it's named after your profession, right? 
Well, it was no different for the priest class. The priest class was a family jam. Like it was all in the family. So they, I mean, when any, the universality of this system is evident too, when you look at some of the really bizarre rituals, like that, uh, blood sacrifices and strange things like that, that are common across continents that are not really self-evident behavior that would somehow help you with nature to do it. It's a free lunch for the priest. <laughs> you bring in your, your ram or your sheep and you slaughter it on the altar. You do this act of weird cruelty and somehow that's absolving you of your sins or uh, giving God what God needs to make the land fertile. But really then the priest is like taking the meat having a meal, selling what's left over at the market. So the priest class was a family where they were families. Like one family in a nation or a region would have a lock on that system. And the same has been true throughout time. And so what do you, what, what do you call the mafia? You know, like what, what did the mafiosi call themselves? Think about like, uh, you know, Hollywood movies. Goodfellas. Exactly. Okay. Now here's where it gets fun. The original word in Greek that the word Christians comes from, Christians is actually a corruption uh, of an earlier word. So in Greek, you have Christos or Christos, C-H-R-I-S-T-O-S, which is a chi, rho, iota, sigma, tau, omicron, sigma, Christos. It means anointed. And people assume that that's what the word Christian comes from or Christ comes from, because there is a lot of symbolism regarding the anointing. Uh, and the word mem, shen, uh, he in Hebrew, msh or mse is also where you're getting uh, the idea of anointed or initiated. So there's reason to think that. But the early church fathers or early church writers in this movement uh, that became Christianity, which <laughs> like the origins of Christianity are a whole nother conversation, which we could get into if you're curious. But they were actually calling themselves. Christianoi. So in Greek, the difference would be instead of an iota, which is our letter I, you have an eta, which is our letter E or H. So Christos rather than Christos. Christos in Greek means good. So the fact that they were calling themselves Christiani <laughs> means they were calling themselves good men, good fellas. Even back then, mafiosi. The Italian mob. What the? And then they're, they're kind of probably just laughing about it when they make mafia movies in the modern Hollywood where they're calling themselves Goodfellas. Damn. That's like one of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's like a favorite <laughs> <laughs> No, I have never seen it, but like to me, that's just hilarious once you yeah. know that uh, Christian is a corruption on Christian and that it means good. Yeah. That's amazing. This priest class, so this mafia class... They did star writing to basically um, put people un under some kind of role based on the region that they're in. And then, and, you know, okay, so not all of the priest astronomer priest class are inherently bad. Right. You know, keep that in mind that there's been good Jesuits, even, even though Jesuits are like, whoa, pretty, pretty nasty, brutal, brutish uh, motherfuckers. But, you know, so we got to be careful with the they stuff, of course, because ultimately none of these groups or families could ever hold power that the that people didn't just give away to them. Right. And so we have all the power in this situation. It's just a matter of like, do we want to keep using their systems, their goods and services, their middlemen 
bullshit or do we want to like make our own and making our own is going to be the solution but not all of them were evil and uh in a lot of cases they <laughs> a lot of times like a conquering king would come over and make them work for them maybe but eventually things kind of merge to the point where in whatever nation we're talking about the kings were either the head of the priest order or in the priest's pocket, one or the other. So for a long time, there's been a merger of church and state, and it's just been a, you know, a lie <laughs> that there's a separation of church and state. In the United States, I think there really was a breakaway, but it only lasted for so long. <laughs> I think you guys froze up a little bit, but you're catching up. Okay, good. I think yeah. Are we caught up? Are we caught up? So uh, screens <laughs> We see it today, though, that the government is the mafia. That the corporate over the corporate the uh, the corporate overworld. You know what we see in society that's out in the open of the corporatocracy, the big corporations, the moneyed powers, are actually the ones doing the underworld criminal underworld action. Right? That the drugs are being brought in by the so-called law enforcement. Right. So the uh, the thing about this mafia, why it's the mafia system is because they're, they're playing both sides. They are the law. They're the ones making the laws, but the laws aren't really there for protection as much as protecting their own racket, <laughs> making it illegal for somebody else to get everybody hooked on a certain drug or something. They're the only ones that can do it. Right. So that's uh, a little bit about that. It makes sense with you when you said about the separation of church and state for right now, churches are basically a sub corporation of the United States, because when you register to become a nonprofit, like a 501c3, you're actually becoming a, a corporate entity, a, you know, an incorporated entity, and you have to do whatever the government who is the, and the entity that you registered with. You have to do whatever it is that they tell you to do. And a lot of times the churches or the corporations will actually, like you said, do the bidding of the government without having to have the government do it for you. So as an example with the COVID-19 stuff and why churches closed is because they got money from the government as a subsidy. Part of that string attached was you have to push the whole like vaccine thing. You have to push the whole locking your church down, going to a, a digital, like a zoom church kind of setup. And most churches took the money and did it because that was, that was part of it. So what you're saying now is essentially this mafia has had a, well, it's not like it's a unified mafia, but the priest class of... Yeah, yeah, there's definitely rival gangs. Yeah. You know? But the 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 definite priest class of whatever region you're in has infiltrated or uh, worked with the government or monarchy or whatever you're under at that time in order to place divinity in them and to keep our eyes kind of there when if you were to approach this in a way that like Dylan Dylan likes to bring up which is like using the trivium which is what is it grammar logic rhetoric if you were to use that you'd realize oh these people are liars and we shouldn't listen to anything that they have to say yeah the whole point of this work that why I'm invested in it is not to destroy people's spirituality or uh, get you know 
make them atheistic. Honestly, the more you learn about the sky clock, the more you learn about the patterns in, in nature that are repeating throughout the fractal, that there really is this logos, in my opinion, that even beyond human intention, through our language, meaning can be found if you learn how to read between the lines and, and look at the puns that might not have even been intended, that there's hidden truths coming out all over the place, that you can interpret the events of your life the way that you would a dream, that scripture is poetry because life is poetry. <laughs> it's a, life is way more subjective when we've put the objective before the subjective. The objective is in service to the subjective rather than the other way around. And that's going back to this idea of getting the order right, feeling and consciousness before language. Language is there to help us synchronize and describe our feelings and consciousness rather than control and the, or rather than be the thing itself, uh, the hyper-reality that Baudrillard talks about. So um, I'm not trying to make people like lose faith or lose spirituality, but I do want them to maybe drop the combative, competitive literalism and separateness in their systems and like, yeah, embrace the differences in your culture and your language and your stories and the moral, the morals that come through them. That's all fine. But like, don't fight, don't fight me or fight others over the fact that, um, the fact that Christ is Vishnu or that Jesus is Vishnu. Well, that V to B switch. Okay. So who's Vishnu, by the way, Vishnu is the second person of the, uh, tr Hinduism Trinity. You have Brahm who who is three in one. That's so they even depict Brahma, Brahm with three faces on one head. By the way, there's ancient depictions of Jesus with three faces on one head, in case anyone hasn't oh my seen gosh. that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Brahm is Brahma, Vishnu, Shiva. Okay. So that's father, mediator, destroyer, slash regenerator. And back to that in the beginning, or by wisdom, the creator. Or uh, the, <laughs> so the original Genesis quote by in Hebrew, it is by wisdom or through the son of wisdom, Bar Rashid, the Alayim, which means God's plural is referring to a Trinity created the heavens and earth out of matter previously existing. So we need to talk about that demiurge creator part too, but the, the, uh, what they're saying that that, that way to help us understand that that philosopher, whoever wrote that scripture, wasn't trying to take an opinion about if matter came into existence and didn't exist or not. They're leaving that aside because how can we know that? We can't know if there was ever a time where there was not actually no matter or nothing. We can't. That's beyond our ability to know. So a very intelligent writer <laughs> did not take a stance on that the way that people will argue about it now. There was absolutely nothing. And then except God and God said some words and then there was stuff. Okay. Were you there? Is there any evidence? Do you have any receipts? Funny thing about the Hebrew word ra rasit or rashit is that it sounds like receipt and it means wisdom. <laughs> so like, you know, it's wise to keep your receipts. <laughs> Funny how that, how words come down like that. But anyway, uh, out of matter previously existing means we're talking about a regenerator, a destroyer that's a regenerator, meaning like, think about how nature works. Anything that is seemingly destroyed is actually being 
reformed into a new existence. You know, even if you burn something to ash, there's still some residue there. Nothing, you know, it's that law of conservation of energy is never created or destroyed. It just changes forms. So that's what gets lost. Like even in the, the Siva or Shiva character is seen more of a destroyer, but that destruction occurs so that regeneration can follow. And that's what nature does. If nature didn't kill off all the vegetation in winter, would life be able to continue? No, we actually need those, that yearly annual reset so that what needed to go away will go away so that new stuff can come up. And it, it just works that way. Like, you know, if, if there was, if things were static and permanent, then they would eventually stop. It would stop working. <laughs> I mean, and we don't need to belabor that point, but to me, it's evident. So anyway, you have Brahm who is Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, right? So Vishnu, Vishnu, the mediator character, you swap the V and the B, okay? And now you have, what do they call, what do they call the, the fathers of the, the Vatican church? Bishops. Bishops. So are the bishops Vishops? Are the bishops the little fish of Vishnu? Because you can actually switch V and F in certain languages as well, and thus Vishnu becomes Vishnu. Is the Pope not wearing a, a fish hat? Pisces, Pisces hat. A Pisces hat? Is Jesus symbolized with a fish? Well, yeah. The bishops are the fish of Vishnu because they are all in a school together, a college of cardinals. What is a cardinal? A car has the word car in it. Cardinal, right? And, and that's a, it was obviously a vessel, something that carries something. It, it's from the Greek word char or ker, which is your hand. Your hand is how you craft things with. Jesus, the carpenter, right? Interesting, too, is a, before he was a carpenter, he was Jesus Bar Panther, son of Panther. That's a whole other side tangent, but who's the Panther? <laughs> That's part of his connection to Bacchus. Uh, but this car, carpenter, hand, craftsman, is what connects him back to other deities who are demiurgos, which is craftsmen. That Greek, the word demiurge comes from the Greek demiurgos, which is craftsman. Okay, because the second person of the Trinity, the mediator preserver, is also the creator of the physical world in a, in a sense and gives us our existence. And that's why we have to go through this mediator to connect to the potter, the father, you, uh, <laughs> Pitar. By the way, uh, I'm going to just do more random side tangents, but. Yadhe Vavhe, instead of I E V E, another way of it being transliterated, the Vav can be a U. So you have I E U E, U. And in uh, Latin, J is a Y sound like an I. And in fact, it would be spelled with an I instead of a J a lot of times. So Jupiter is U Pitar, right? So there's a U. Yadhe Vavhe is Jew. Jew. <laughs> Jew, our God. <laughs> it goes on, but wow. um, <laughs> Damn I know. <laughs> but back to this craftsman thing. So, uh, one of the earlier versions of that would be in the Egyptian. You have Ptah or Patha, who is a, a potter on the wheel, creating matter and beings on, as a potter on a, a spinning wheel. So, Ptah sounds a lot like Pitar or Potter, right? Pata. So that's uh he's he's a craftsman, 
that connects him to our Jesus, the carpenter. Car is also the word in the root of heart. Cardio, cardio, the hand of God or the vessel or holder of God in the body. Cardio, your heart. In um, Latin, car also refers to uh, like cardinal. The word cardinal is more like a hinge of a door because it's the gate, the mediator that you go through. It's a gate. Gate, words that uh, refer to gate also are connected to the idea of wisdom, like palace, which is wisdom. Uh, Pula in Hindu is a gate. Uh, Pala in Greek is a a gate as well. So the gate, wisdom is the gate through which we reach the pattern or comprehend the logos or the logic in the universe. Wisdom is that gateway. And um, (laughs) fun thing about the pata, potter, is that so we uh, you've all heard of like Hare Krishna, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. <laughs> Hare is a word that means savior actually. So who's the savior? Krishna. Hare Krishna. <laughs> uh and who is one of the who's a famous potter in modern society? Who's the savior? Hare Potter? <laughs> Harry Potter. I was gonna say Harry oh my Potter. Gosh. Oh Harry my Potter. god! Who dies and is resurrected? <laughs> oh my god! They retell the same story over and over again. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. There's really only one story. That's the fun. It also kind of ruins stories for you <laughs> when you know it's all the same story. Uh, but in a hundred years, yeah, they're gonna be worshiping Harry Potter. Literally, Harry Potter is the is them worshiping Pata. The Savior Pata, the Savior Christ or Krishna. Yeah. He's even got black hair. Krishna means black. And all these gods were depicted, whether it was Osiris or uh, the Madonna and her child. It's always a black god, which is interesting, especially because when you go back to some of like maybe the earliest version of this. Because so one thing I haven't really touched on is that like, it seems evident that we're looking at a universal system that somehow spread around the world. How that happened uh, is what some of Dylan's new work is really focusing on, like finding the the real ancient empire that spread this around, not Tartaria, because uh, Tartaria is um, a weird, I don't know if it's a psyop or just people being retarded and grabbing hold of a dogma to replace their old dogma because they're not comfortable unless they have dogma. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's weird because the Tartaria thing is putting people into the mindset of like, our ancestors couldn't have built that without technology. And it's really like a reflection of our learned helplessness in modern society that we think that because we couldn't build it or we have no idea how that could ever happen, that our ancestors couldn't do it. But it seems like, you know, what's really being hidden is the European, uh, European or Mediterranean um, type empire. And whether it's the original original or not, I'm not sure. It seems like maybe predating them was a, a Negroid race that spread it around. So black people, hence maybe the black um, depiction of the gods, but also the gods being depicted in black is likely symbolism related to the fact that the sun is uh, it begins and ends its journey in the underworld, under the earth, uh, winter, the cave of Brahm, if you will. And so that's the black symbolism there as well. But uh, 
guys hit me with some questions and then uh, there's more things I want to touch on, but I, I need to let, see where you guys are at. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I was really curious cause you kind of, you started to bring it up there and I thought you were going to pivot and talk about Moses for a little bit with the letters M was it M E. Yeah. Mem Shen. Hey, yeah, yeah, MSH Shen. or MSE. Cause I, I thought you were going to bring Moses up then. And cause isn't that kind of where Moses came from is is uh those letters being told or is it is it because moses didn't exist right like let's just let's just be honest let's throw it out there probably wasn't a real person well okay so i'm gonna backtrack a little bit i'm just it's just as unknowable whether some of these characters were real or not you know as it is knowable it's unknowable if they're really not we'll just say that the reason why like i've i've been pretty gung-ho for most of this journey like saying None of them existed, but I'll backtrack a little bit and say, we actually just don't know. We can't go back in time. There's no such thing as history. There's no way to actually know what happened in the past that you didn't experience yourself. And even things you did experience yourself, you might not remember correctly. So that being said, there is a seeming phenomenon that happens all the time that totally grapples what we have of history. Uh, the Greek word is a euheromism. Euheteronism is where you apply mythological storytelling tropes to a supposed history of a, a living being. So maybe there was a guy and then they start and they call him Moses, but Moses is a title. It is not a name. That does, like maybe there was a guy that led the Hyksos out of Egypt, the Hyksos being the, uh, the <laughs> basically the, the solar cult that, uh, was causing all kinds of grabble and problems to the Egyptians back then. They got kicked out. They weren't really slaves. That's that much is for sure. <laughs> they were more like um, money changer, Pharisee, uh, grabbler types. You know, uh, <laughs> rub their hands a lot. You know, yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> you know, got you. <laughs> Just take my loan anyway. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I promise I'll give you a good interest rate. Yeah. Anyway, there could have been a guy that led them out of Egypt. Obviously, though, um, the story of the Red Sea being parted is fable. You know, when you look at the contemporary historians, like the so-called father of history, Herodotus from Greece, who lived at the same time as the supposed Moses and would have also been contemporary uh, enough, close enough to things like the empire in uh of Jerusalem and the original wonder of the world of Solomon's temple that supposedly existed. Doesn't write about any of that. Doesn't you, you'd think that, look, you know, considering Athens is a colony of Egypt, uh, you'd think that with the close relationship between Greece and Egypt, that, you know, somebody parting the rivers or parting the waters of a sea and leading a ton of people out of the country, like, you know, plagues of frogs and locusts and, the murder of the firstborn by an angel of death and like all this wild shit, maybe write about it. Like if you're the historian of the time, I don't know, but yeah, that didn't maybe. happen. <laughs> <laughs> it just passed. And by. considering that the Pentateuch, which are the five first books of the old Testament, supposedly written by Moses are, um, Lumashi stories, <laughs> you know, and they're Sumerian and Akkadian and uh, from other Oriental nations. And 
I don't think that he was a real guy personally, but I, you know, I reserve the right to be wrong about that, that maybe somebody got the title of Moshe, Mem Shen He, which is, means initiate or anointed. So of course it makes sense that um, the title Moses, because he's an initiate to the mystery traditions and the law bringer, you know, the priests were the lawgivers, but that's kind of how I feel about Moses. And he's like the one giving us mosaic history, which is the story of Abraham. Well, um, I mean, if we, if it isn't evident already who Abraham is, Ab, Ra, Ham, <laughs> or Abram. So that's Ab, Ram. Ab is father, as I already said. Ram, well, it would have been maybe the age of Aries back then in terms of the zodiacal procession. Who knows? But either way, Ram refers to the high, or Ram is also Mar backwards. Uh oh. Mar is Mary, the mother, and Hebrew is written from uh, right to left instead of left to right. So Ab Ram is literally like saying father, mother. So there's your Yad Hey Vav Hey. There's your Trinity, father, mother, Ab Ram. Ham is black or darkness. Ham means darkness or black. And this is why it's so important. As Dylan was saying on Vibrant the, uh, the other night, you know, people taking their mosaic and Abrahamic religion his, as history is how you get things like fucking slavery of people with black skin because they're like, Oh, well, they are, they're the descendants of ham because they're dark skinned and ham was cursed. So, you know, that means they can be slaves. They're subhuman because you have an uh, Abrahamic history that you believe as history, Abrahamics. And like mosaic is interesting though, because um, that Mem Shen He is not an original term. I mean, that's also the muses, muses, <laughs> even our music system is chronatic, chronosatic, chromatic. You have the very specific uh, structure to it that could be in some ways limiting to our uh, consciousness. Who knows? I mean, there's a use in a structure, but we're missing. We're regarding the map as the terrain with everything, including sound and music. So anyway, um, uh, Abraham is the high father of darkness or the mother father of darkness. <laughs> Abram Ham. And also you have Brahma in the name, Abraham, Brahma. Come on. And he has, uh, he has his three sons, just like Adam has three sons. There's this uh, menu in the Hinduism has three sons. There's like this repeating uh, aspect of the Trinity where the, the originator has three uh, beings in the, the next iteration of the Trinity comes generated from that version and it continually generates itself. And this is also like part of um, a sacred geometry thing that has to do with uh, triangles and <laughs> the way that this um, star of Rimfram or what they call now the star of David is derived. But that's uh, some interesting stuff you would find in chapter one of uh, Spirit World, July's End with Black Swans. I won't go into the whole uh, math of that, but it has to do with where we get this 22 letter alphabet, um, which is an expansion on the original 16 letter alphabet. Uh, if you look into the original 16 letter alphabet of Greece that Cadmus brought, it's the same uh, sounds in the same order with the same correlation to the same trees as the Celtic original 16 letters 
and as uh, Greek, I already said Greek, as the Hebrew letters, multi- many languages have the same root, 16 letters in the same order, proving that it's the same system, <laughs> and they're referring to the same trees, which I find interesting because um, one of the names for Bacchus was the free father or Liber Pater, but Liber also means book, and Liber, if you do the B to V switch, is leave or lieb, leave. And I, I do think that there's something to be said about the, the likelihood that the alphabets originally derived from leaves, that you had spoken language before any kind of written language, and that maybe the, uh, the original secret language, think about where the runes come from, Odin hanging himself on the world tree to find and discover the runes, which are letters. Well, you could maybe, uh, Higgins asserts this, in Anacalypsis, that different trees have different shaped leaves and that you would have codes, <laughs> that the priest class would have a code, a secret code language of arranging leaves in a certain order as letters, which I think is a, a very interesting and likely scenario. We even call the pages of books leaves still to this day, which is fascinating. And those those 16-letter Ancient alphabets that all correlate with each other also correlate to trees, like each letter correlating to a tree, and it's the same kind of tree in their different systems of correspondence. So I find that very, very high likelihood, very plausible. Uh, there's more reasons to think that, like Adonis, who is the same as Adamu, uh, Adam, <laughs> the first man, uh, the the sun, or even in uh, Egyptian, Adam. Atom Ra, A-T-E-M, but it's phonetically the same as Adam, Atom, Adam. Basically, people just say Adam. That is the old man, the, uh, the wise old man. The sun, as it's going down, is Adam Ra. As it's rising, it is Horus Ra, which is the, the savior mediator. And when it's at the height, at noontime, it's um, Amun Ra, which is the hidden one. So you have the hidden first father, the most high. And then you have the Adam, who is the fall, the falling sun as it's going down. And then you have the rising sun, which is Horus. Horus is uh, H-R-S, Hey, Resh, Shen. It is also where you get phonetically uh, not really any different than the the He, Resh, Shen, which is the Cres, Cres, Crestos or Christos. Uh, I mean, even like the name Harris is HRS is the name referring to the, uh, the savior son back to Harry, Har- the savior, Harry Potter, Harris. <laughs> it's all pretty like uh, tight once you kind of get these keys and man. So like some other cool details to get into about the old man, B- Buddha, the Adam, uh, like I said, Cronus, Kron- which was originally named for the sun before and Saturn too, before they got applied to the, uh, before they got applied to the wandering luminaries. In fact, all of the so-called planets had different names at one point and all the current names of the planets were originally personages of the Trinity. And the Trinity is, uh, symbolized by the sun. I think the original systems didn't worship the sun outright, but saw the sun as an emblem of the hidden force, the hidden creator. But the sun does this, like I said, uh, Horus Ra, Adam, um, Amun Ra, Atom Ra, three in one, creator, destroyer, regenerator, preserver, has all three of these qualities. Because in the springtime, 
everyone's being saved. The Ram or the Lamb of God, the Agnes Dei, <laughs> you know, uh, the Most High, the Aries, the Son is saving us. It's coming back. And then in the summer, it is, uh, you know, it's things are just blooming and blasting. It's the Creator. And then in the winter, it's the destroyer, but also that destruction is what is regenerating things. So the sun does this Trinity thing. That's probably where the original notion of it comes from. Um, <laughs> the, the big problem with this Trinity idea is that all the idolatry that is caused, I think idolatry is a big problem. I think soon idolatry is what causes people to be idle <laughs> and rely on externals and authorities to do things for them. Because they've taken this idea of uh, this philosophical idea of a savior or preserver or Mercury uh, to um, they didn't they didn't take it to its logical conclusion, which is that it's something that is within. Like, you know, I've been bringing this up a lot lately, but Balderson, and then I need to get back to some Buddha stuff. But Balderson is uh, an a lab alchemist, right? And he brought up in a recent Interverse episode about how. He does something different than most alchemists, which is he takes the, he doesn't add the alcohol back into the final tincture of his product whenever he's done his whole lab alchemy process. And most people's tinctures have the alcohol because alcohol is a preservative. It's the preserver. Alcohol is a mercury. It's a solvent. Solvent and salvator, savior are same words coming from the same root. And um, I thought this was interesting. His philosophical reasoning for this was clear especially when in uh, context to extractions from metals where you're like going to actually create something that you ingest out of a metal and the solvent is some kind of like heavy duty, crazy acid, like hydrochloric acid. You're going to need to wash that out. <laughs> you're not going to want to uh, keep that in. And they, uh, most people, because their solvent is alcohol for their plant extracts, that's safe to ingest and it keeps it alive on the shelf longer. But, you know, ultimately, when you think about the purpose of the preserver or the savior uh, in alchemy, the mercury, it is to marry the positive and the negative or the salt and the sulfur. It is to cause the chemical wedding between the mother and father and bring them together, which is what gives a generative power. And in uh, our religions of the world, which are if anything valuable about them needs to mirror this universal fractal process that we call alchemy. Al Kim, <laughs> uh, God, Al, Aleph, Lamed, and Chem, uh, which is Ham or Kemet, from which is Egypt, which is the original name of Egypt, which means black. <laughs> the God, the, the God, the black God, Al Kemi. Yeah. Anyway, um, it, it, we need to realize that, like, philosophically speaking, this Mercury figure or the external savior, the story of a Jesus or a Buddha or a Mercury or whoever it is for you or Odin is helpful to lead us to this internal um, marriage of our yin and yang forces within ourselves, to find balance and harmony between our left and right sides, to um, master these seeming opposites or polarities, to be able to actually access the generative power that we all have the potential to access, which is manifestation power, uh, to become conscious of something and then ex witness its expression in the universe, which is magic. And as you do this process of the great work on yourself, you'll notice that more and more uh, you are met, you, you feel like you're manifesting, but you're really becoming conscious of what nature wants and you're letting it happen and you're not getting in your own way 
with a limiting belief that is canceling out your ability to be conscious of uh, the next step of what life wants to develop in a generative ongoing way. And so we have this external savior, Mercury, Jesus, whoever, who can show us what it, you know, how to do this process as an allegory, as a story, following the teachings, uh, you know, do as Christ did, all of that, like great morality. It's all about morality. Mor al, mer, mor al, father, mother, morals. There's a, there's men and women. There's difference between the genders. <laughs> we need to understand this and, and marry our yin and yang sides, right? And after doing so, though, just like an alchemical process of, you know, maybe not using alcohol in your final tincture. And Balderson gives really great elaboration on the philosophy of that. But the perfect example is the metal extraction. You don't want to eat acid. You don't want to eat hydrochloric acid. <laughs> so uh, the same way, once you have done the alchemical marriage in yourself, you don't need the external savior or solvent or mercury. You don't need an outside force from yourself that you believe in and worship as God. You have found the savior within. You have become the mediator. And you know, that's why a lot of people, whenever they have a sort of like psychedelic or spontaneous experience of the, the yin and yang marriage within themselves, they go crazy. And they're like, I'm Jesus Christ. Because they have realized that they actually are, they actually are the mediator between heaven and earth, yin and yang, left and right, positive, negative, whatever polarities you want to call it, which we all actually are. <laughs> it's more about getting our own beliefs out of our own way so that we can be that. And it doesn't mean that like, I'm the special Jesus Christ and you're not. It means everybody is that. Every, every living being is an embodiment of this mediator principle, which is why that's the being that you go through to find the potter, the, the pattern the father, this mediator, but it turns out that it's you, <laughs> but the external shows you how to be yourself in a moral mother, father, yin, yang married way. And then after that, you need to kill, you need to kill the external savior, right? <laughs> you need to crucify it. Crucifixion means to remove something from yourself. Crucify is to like cut something off, remove something. And we need to crucify our external savior so that the inner, so that we can embody the inner, we can have the relationship to it ourselves. And so anyway, um, then I, we'll talk about some Buddha stuff, but that, that was important shit. So maybe you guys have thoughts on it. Yeah, that was a really good chance. Um, I just, I think about from a Christian background, the crucifixion of Christ and how people, I remember just being in church and around Easter and that whole event happening and and sometimes the church would put on a big thing where, you know, they'd reenact the whole crucifixion and then Jesus going into the cave and then coming back three days later and all that, all of that, just so, you know, and everyone's mindset is, oh, he, Christ died for our sins. You know, I can, I can be a piece of shit five days a week <laughs> yeah. and then show up on Sunday because it's okay. Cause Christ forgave me he died on that cross when it's outsourcing no, your morality yeah exactly yes. it's like no that's not it at all that <laughs> we are yeah you still have to do work yes you can't be a piece of shit you need to be a good person it's outsourcing the morality like you said you need to be a crustiani 
a good man or a good yeah. woman. Yeah, it's I'm I don't I have no heartache with uh Christianity and how I grew up and um I don't like talking shit on it cuz everyone has their own beliefs and has to come to their own conclusions through in their journey and um but Man, to say something like that. Religion's good. Morals are good. Unifying moral principles for a culture are good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's just like the limiting aspect of the dogma that is hurting people. I'm, I want people to see their religion for the beautiful, expansive, infinite, universal poetry that it is rather than this narrow, corporatized bullshit that yes. they're stuck in. Yeah. No, I agree. Like, there are some good things with Christianity that people should follow, but no one, people in the city anyways going to going to church on Sundays it's just different mindset they're out they're outsourcing their uh their good morality morality um to a figure that probably didn't even exist well i think the other thing too is people people want easy answers and um the thing that I, and I, and I really don't want this episode and this conversation to come across, like we're trying to destroy your belief. Cause that's not exact. That's not at all what any of us are trying to do when we're talking about this stuff, but we're trying to kind of reveal the origins of where your belief perhaps probably came from. And if you looked into it, you might agree. And if that's the case, I find this a very freeing conversation mm -hmm. and it's very freeing spiritually for me because I've always had this, this like competitive belief in my head that like, should I listen to the words of Jesus in the Bible? Should I follow my, my, uh, intuition? You know, like I I'm in this like new age slash Christian, very similar to what Dan shook us you know when he talked to us about it and he's going through i'm kind of going through the same thing too but i've always had it in the back of my mind that if you're a christian you don't go to other people and say no the only way to salvation is this one way and if you don't you're actually following the words of the devil mm. And you're going the opposite direction and you're not living a moral life. And the reason why I know that's not true is because there's been plenty of non-Christians I've known, people that are even atheists, who are great, good people, really good-hearted people, and they didn't have the same background that I have. So knowing this, I know, okay, Jesus might not have been a historical person. Jesus probably didn't exist. But what Jesus to me represents is the value of the combined stories of all of these things, you know, Mithra, Mercury, Hermes, Odin, all of these stories and parables that kind of come together to teach us how to be and how to act in a more moral and universal way that, that is in line with nature, that is in line with the good, that is in line with all that kind of stuff so that that flow can kind of happen. So to me, this opens up my spirituality to say, well, I can take the words of Jesus as a literary lesson, mm. you know, a moral to kind of follow, but I can also read the Havamal and get something out of there too. And I think that's kind of what makes us and, and people that have kind of an open spirituality, it, it, it doesn't put it in a concrete box where you have to follow it. It puts it in a, in a, in a more open language, so to speak, so that you can kind of understand who you are, because at the end of the day, the savior isn't someone out there. 
the savior for you is you. You have everything in you that you need to triumph or be successful over things that might be challenging to you. It's just a matter of you performing that inner work, that spiritual work to get you to that point of realizing, you know, maybe this isn't your path. Maybe this is your path or to get you to realize that, you know what? I have everything. I'm good. I don't need someone's help on this. I got this. Yeah. It makes me think of the Roman expression, yo, yo triumphe which was like their sort of ecstatic or exaltation exclamation. And it's like, you, you triumph. And that was like something they called out to the, to you or you Potter, Jupiter. <laughs> and so, yeah, you, you triumphed, you did it. I mean, I always thought that that was wild that the, that the name of Yadhe Vavhe can transliterate to you. And that it's like saying, you are the tetragrammaton. <laughs> you are the mother, father, you are, more morality, more all mother, father is in you, right? Like you, like you will know the difference between right and wrong because God or the creator or nature has this self-evident morality to it. Like it feels wrong <laughs> to do things that are shitty to other people. And it's like that simple. We don't need, we, we make mistakes, but our, if we're listening to our body, if we're putting feeling first and like actually listening to the message, we'll know when we did something wrong. But uh, you brought up the Hava Mall. I thought it should be fun to point out that. <laughs> so, you know, okay. So we've heard of the Vedas, right? Oh yeah, the Ve- the Vedas. That's the uh, the Indian scriptures. Well, what if we switch the V and B, and you have the Vedas? And remember that vowels can just completely interchange. So the Vedas, Vedas, Buddhas, <laughs> or the Vedas. Or you nailed it. Yeah, because a lot of times you just drop the uh, the first aspirate the, for words. That happens all the time. Like Helios to the Greeks was Elios. So the Vedas are the Eddas. Oh. Bam. <laughs> and who is o- Odin? Is um, Odin is an interesting one because you have Odd there. Odd is basically God without the aspirate. Um, Buddha was also let's just go some names of buddha here uh one was dag po dag it means fish dalet gimel in hebrew dg like dagon which is a name for uh saturn as well saturn is the sun so dag po all right well you do the whole hebrew thing and make the uh, dag gad gad is the germanic name for god so dag and gad uh po uh ope OP, or if you look at it like a fee in, a, in Greek, it's oaf. And oaf is the word for serpent or ophis or sof, wisdom. So dag, po, you know, fish, po, back to that fish new, Vishnu, fish new character. Um, let's see. I have a list here of some of the names of Buddha that I just want to go through a couple of them. Like one is Podin or Pudin. Podin. It sounds a lot like Odin, right? And again, uh, this is the guy that gave us our language. Language, Odin is. He hung from the tree and gave us the runes, like the Libra Potter. Um, who else came from a tree? Is Adonis, who is Adamu, who is Cronus. His mother, Mira, became, became the myrrh tree, like myrrh that was brought to the nativity scene when Krishna, Krishna was born. I mean, Jesus. Because by the way, Krishna was also born in a stable. <laughs> There's like a million things that are the same about Krishna and Jesus. Um, 
anyway, uh, so we have the guy who gave us our letters. Um, Mira became Adonis's mother, be got turned into a tree because she was in trouble for getting impregnated with her divine immaculate conception. Um, there's more interesting stuff about Adonis, but to get back to the Buddha stuff, uh, Buddha's names were like, what are some interesting ones? Uh, <laughs> I find it very interesting that one of the names for Buddha is Bot or Bata, because right now we have a uh, bots are taking over. <laughs> That's interesting. Right. And uh, another name for Buddha is Data. Like oh, data. No. Big, big data is taking over. <laughs> I know, right? It's really weird. What um, the heck? So you ha also have, like I said, Poe, but the P of Poe, P and Phi are pretty often switcherable. And so Phi is the PH sound of F. So in China, they're, um, one of their main gods is Fo, Poe and Fo, the same thing. And in fact, uh, just a little side tangent, you know, I think what's happened in some of the countries that have been communist obliterated, like China, is because back in like 1820s when Higgins was doing his work with Anacalypsis and people were free to really explore symbolism and mythology because the world was getting pretty interconnected, they could find out that like, oh shit, the Chinese have a trinity and they have a god named San Pao, San Po, San Po, Saint, San Po, Po is Buddha. <laughs> anyway, and they, that guy was a trinity that was so similarly symbolized that if they had come to a, a Catholic cathedral, a Chinese person, they would have been like, oh, they, you guys also worship San Pao. Okay, cool. But then what happened with the communist takeover? They destroyed religion. They destroyed temples. They destroyed artifacts and culture. And that's happened across the Middle East too with the ISIS, hilarious ISIS, the regenerator destroyer, because she's the mother or the Holy Ghost of the Trinity. She's the destroyer. So ISIS is destroying shit. It goes on, but uh, you have other names of Buddha. I mean, there are so many. I could just go on and on, but uh, one is Kardam, Kardam. So there's your Kar, Kar, Jesus the Carpenter, and Am, Dam, Adamu, Dam. <laughs> and back to the mother father thing, Adam. Adam backwards the, is Mad. Mad is like Madre, Mad. And then the D A M of Adam is like the same as the word Dame which is Our Lady Notre Dame, right? Mother. So Adam is the, the mother, father. Even the Gnostic Nag Hammadi scripture, scriptures even says that she gives birth to her own son who is her husband. This is the Trinity. This is the three in one, three beings in one. And it's like, when you take that shit literal, it is so fucked up. <laughs> like, okay, so you're having sex with your own son? Like what? Like, this is not cool, but you need to understand it allegorically. But people are turning this into their history of the world it's so wild but anyway um there's just like a there's a lot of names for buddha that's its own rabbit hole uh like jane gina like jainism like jainism <laughs> uh chindeo uh jin like jin like the the jin like the of jin. arabic spirits right um there are so many like if i was it would take me a few minutes to read this list of names for for uh for buddha um, yeah, <laughs> I think we're getting close to, I think we should get to a, get close to a wrap up here. Cause this, this subject goes on and on and on. And that's why I'm really glad of how this conversation went today, because, uh, I feel like it flowed nicely. This topic is difficult to convey 
in conversation. It's difficult to help, help someone see the giant constellation of interconnected details that hours and hours of looking at this and looking through the minutia and seeing the pattern and seeing the pattern as a consistent pattern, you know, that takes a lot of, uh, takes a lot of time to do that. And I highly encourage people to do it because it's an awesome study. You know, once you see, have the keys, it's like, you will be making your own connections that I, I haven't made yet because it's vast. It's universal. It's everything, all languages everywhere. Apparently it even goes into, um, South America. Like, the reason why, the, probably the reason why the conquistadors annihilated the cultures of South America, the Mayans, Maya, who's Maya? I think we talked about that. <laughs> and like the, the uh, Mexicans or um, Mexican, Ma, yeah, or Zacaans. Zaca is a, a word that you find in the South American region. Zaca is a name for Buddha. Um, it goes on and on and on and it's universal. And so it's hard to, it's kind of hard to, in a, one conversation, even in two hours to really paint the big picture. And I hope that we gave enough details that people, their interest is, their curiosity is peaked. And I agree with Buffalo that the best way to um, probably dip your toes in this stuff would be to check out the Spirit World books and maybe listen to the audiobook while you're looking at the ebook. And I know that's like, most people want to listen to things while they're doing other stuff. And you can do that too. But if you really want to like, just do the work, if you are willing to just do the work, like for example, the Greek alphabet, I can, I can read Greek now. <laughs> I can see Greek letters before that looked like gobbledygook scribbles, scribbles, right? A few minutes a day for a couple of weeks or get an app that like does flashcard style quiz of the letters. It doesn't take that long, actually. I mean, a, a four-year-old can learn the English alphabet, right? Like really quick. Are you as smart as a four-year-old? Can you learn a different alphabet? I think you can. I think that we're sh sh selling ourselves short, just like the Tartaria narrative, you know, leans into this learned helplessness of like, oh, we can't build that because we don't know how to, we don't have skills anymore. So, and we're better than our ancestors. So obviously they couldn't do it either without some kind of magical technology. No, bitch, horses can move a lot of heavy stuff. They're strong. A guy with a hammer can build an entire structure that you would have never even imagined. And all he had was a hammer. You know, like there's a lot that's possible. And, and we are powerful creators. We are, we are the demiurgos. We are the craftsmen. We are the mediator. We are the builders of this world. We are our own saviors. And the, uh, the pattern or the potter or the logos, the father is within us and we can learn everything about the outside by knowing ourselves in our inside. And that doesn't make me God or you God or anyone higher or lower than anyone else. It is just like I learned from a really wise shamanic teacher that if you want to, <laughs> if you actually, they were referring to the power of shape-shifting, but you know, shape-shifting is like being able to see through the eyes of something else in a sense, like to be able to empathize that deeply. And it's like, if you want to shape-shift, you have to recognize that you are no more important than you are no more important than an ant and you are no less important than the sun. And you can do anything you want, as long as you're willing to let someone else take the credit. <laughs> and, you know, so like all this research that I'm sharing, there would be no way for me to know any of this stuff without the massively 
intelligent and hardworking and dedicated people who dedicated their lives 10 or 12 hours a day for 20 years, like Higgins or Dylan, who's put out three books this year. I am totally at their, like, I'm totally at their service. Like I'm just doing my best to help others find out about this hard work that others did and to realize that they can do the work themselves to get the keys. They can start seeing the pattern and you know, they don't, they can teach others this, or they can just free themselves from the grabblers and the, you know, the middlemen and the vampires by being able to like, oh, okay, I see your game. Oh, I see how you're trying to manipulate me. You know, I see your dogma because a lot of us have gotten hip to scientism, to the mechanism, to the left brain side of things being, you know, out of balance. And then like, yeah, maybe there aren't invisible monsters waiting to make us sick. Maybe it's our own behavior that determines our health. Whoa. But the same goes for the right brain, the mystic and the mechanistic sides of, of uh, grabbler are the same mafia. <laughs> you know, the white coat guy brings you into the world. The black robe guy takes you out of the world. It's one system. And you look into the mercurial trickstery nature of the symbolism of the medical industry, you will be able to tell that the cult of scientism is the cult of hell or Helios. And anyway, uh, it's just important to realize that, that like, the mystic stuff, the metaphysical stuff, if somebody is telling you, take my word for it, I had this experience or this being talked to me, I'm not saying they didn't have the experience subjectively, but like, you need to take that stuff that you can't verify with your own senses, especially in the realm of like metaphysics and other worlds and what happens after you die and all that shit. You need to take that with the same grain of salt that you're taking germ theory with now, hopefully that you are, or that you're taking vaccines, that grain of salt. The, the scientism, that the mysticism cult is the same as the cult of scientism. It's a cult of authority because I said so. And the real, I think the, the real savior action is to get back to like, what, why would God or the creator or why would the creator give us the senses we have in the limited range and spectrum that they are? It, you know, if, and evidently we can develop them further. Sure. But like, why would that be unless that was what we're supposed to fucking focus on? That like that's where we're meant to be learning things as in this spectrum of the shit that we can actually perceive and feel and and observe and know. Maybe we should just focus on that until we get a lock on that and then start trying to like explore other worlds and dimensions and realities. Yeah. Call me crazy. <laughs> so get spirit world. Uh, I narrated July's end with black swans. It's a good one to start if you've already got a foundational knowledge of some astro theology. Or you can go back to the first books. Uh, it's a four-book series. There's a fifth book coming out soon. The first two books are also really good, a little more foundational, and you might already have some of that knowledge, but maybe a good review. But I really pushed the third book because it's the one I narrated. <laughs> and you support me and Dylan by getting the audio book or just get the physical copy or get the uh, the ebook, whatever. You know, Another reason why the, this book is particularly valuable, July's End, is because it's got images in it that makes the print copy a little more expensive but realize that a lot of the images in this book that was published in 2020 are now no longer on the internet that as quickly as people are are revealing discoveries and things artifacts are being destroyed and images are being removed from the internet so books are <laughs> freedom the same that's why liber is the word for book and freedom so um, I think that's the end of my rant. <laughs> Check out innerversepodcast.com. <laughs> well said, Chance. Oh my God, that's a good, that was such a great way to just turn it around. And um, 
end it. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said. It's we don't need an outside mediator to run our lives for us when we were we were put here or we decided to come here, whatever it is, to experience this realm. Um, every piece of it from the, from the the pain to the joy to to the smell of farts to <laughs> to uh, everything and just being present in those moments and taking them for what it is, taking it for what it is and learning from it and that's all this place is it's a giant learning experience and this is and like in some a, ways we like can actually be grateful for, to the mafia because think about this how many people refuse to take responsibility for themselves how many people want to be slaves and controlled? Right. How many people would actually like go act a fool and steal and do all kinds of things if there wasn't a punishment? So in a way, like in a weird way, even the evil ones serve God, <laughs> like everything that ever happened that was felt wrong or bad or that you didn't want taught you what you needed to know to level up. So like there is really, you know, there is really nothing, um, that ever happened that wasn't meant to happen. So like I even have gratitude for the grabblers and the the mafia and the priests and the mind control of the government, all of that. There's, there's some perspective of gratitude for that even too, because until as an individual, you're ready to take responsibility for your own self and claim your own freedom and be your own savior and generate your own resources, generative, you know, and not be um, just a, a zombie consumer. Until you're ready to do that, there's a system set up to make sure that you don't hurt other people while you're hurting yourself at too, at too much, at, you know? And so like, that's kind of cool, actually. <laughs> They're filling a role in nature that seems to be there like a niche because so many people are um, not willing to take that responsibility for themselves or they haven't reached the stage of development where they're ready to. You know, you think about humans as like souls that are developing from, uh, infancy to maturity and that subjective time being the real time rather than the clock time. And the only problem with the system is it's gotten a little out of hand and now it's, I mean, a lot out of hand. And now instead of just managing the herd of people who don't want to be responsible for themselves, there is an intentional inflicting of, um, inflicting of unconsciousness and dis-ease onto people. But at the end of the day, it's like chicken or egg, what came first? yada, yada. And it's important, in my opinion, to hold the perspective, if you want to be more enlightened, that the fractal is actually generated from the roots up, the bottom up, that whatever's going on on top is actually systemic reflection of our individual behavior, and that we can change it from the bottom, from the root, from our own behavior, and not get too caught up on like, they did it, they did it. I mean, it's yes. And it's like, yes, they're doing it, but also like we gave them the, the keys to do it. So we can take the keys back anytime you want. You can drive the car. That's so true. Yeah. yeah. Well, I feel like if, if people just take the words that you said and check out the book, check out the audio book, there's other books out there that we could throw out. Um, one of the ones that I'm going to throw out to you in case you haven't read it, but you probably have, or maybe you've heard of it with the, your Buddha Jesus connection. There's a book called um, Living Buddha, Living Christ. They've literally taken the words of Jesus and the words of Buddha. And it's like one side of the page is one, one side of the page is the other. It's like the same, the same thing. It's literally the same thing. So it's, it, it's, it's really funny that there's people that are unknowingly already working to unravel 
kind of what's going on without knowing that that's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, and back to the Mercury connection of all that, um, one of the names of Buddha is Harry Maya. Harry, Savior, Maya. Her, Harry Maya, does that sound like Hermes? It does. Another, and another name is Her, Her Moya or Hermias, Hermias. So that's, those are names of Buddha, by the way. That's Hermes, which is Mercury. Jeez. Crazy. Just keeps going. Yeah. It's like, yeah. 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 The, the names of Buddha are a, a fun rabbit hole. There are so damn many because it's the oldest version of this, I think. Right. Or the oldest version that we have any like window into. Yeah. I remember um conversation you, you and Dylan had in, on an interverse thing. I forgot the number, but it was released in July. Um, you guys were kind of bringing that up where a lot of this could have originated from the Orient. And um, that's where, I don't know, in terms of our language and alphabet, um, I don't know if that's where it originated. I don't, I don't know if you have any insights on that, but before we jump down another rabbit hole, maybe we <laughs> should just stop here. And <laughs> we'll we'll, yeah, we'll jump have, on that I'm sure one. I'll have more insights next time you guys have yeah, me on. Yeah, we can keep going with this because it's, it's fun and it's never ending. And uh, to me, it feels like a life mission to really expose this, uh, especially because so, like, this is another can of worms to open, but so many people that get into researching conspiracy and, like, what are they doing and, like, who's the biggest boogeyman? <laughs> Cause that's kind of what conspiracy research turns into is like the biggest boogeyman. It's the government and then it's the Vatican and then it's a uh, fucking Cthulhu. And then it's, you know, your Saturn black cube, yeah, Saturn <laughs> black cube. It's and it's uh, the demiurge. And so there's this thing where what I call new age Gnosticism it's sort of like portrayed as the deepest rabbit hole of all the rabbit holes that like when you've gotten to the end of conspiracy research, you find out the whole reality is fake and is created by the demiurge and it's to harvest your energy in loose. And like we could have an entire conversation where I could dispute the, the whole notion and show that it's like a misunderstanding of the Trinity and the creator of the destroyer regenerator, um, preserver dynamics that we're talking about. Cause we already have shown that like, the carpenter, Jesus or Mercury, creator, Pata, Potter, yada yada, uh, Demiurgos, craftsman of the of the physical world, metaphorically being the sun, <laughs> being the sun, uh, in in one symbol is like also the same the same being, three persons in one, as the destroyer regenerator. So like, you know, people have taken metaphors and allegories literally. And they now believe that because they want to be in victim consciousness, they're like the ultimate justification of my victim consciousness. I found it. I found it. It's Gnosticism. I'm a Gnostic. And now I know that the Demiurge is the evil God that created this world. And it's my, and it's, I can just, well, I don't have to do anything <laughs> because this world's evil and like everything's evil. And all I need to do is escape from the evil world. And if I escape from it hard enough, then I'll be free to not exist, I guess, because <laughs> that seems to be like when you really get them to pin down what they're trying to achieve. And this is the same. And really like all the corrupted versions of this system get you there. Uh, you know, even in like, especially Hinduism, 
your or and a lot of sects of Buddhism kill your ego. Um, if there's anything left to experience or perceive, then you're still in the illusion or Maya or Maya. So well, uh, you're trying to get to no experience, no perception. Is that like um you call that like complete nullification and oblivion, like non-existence? Is that what you want? Like, because I think back to the morality of it and how the morale gives you and the alchemical wedding gives you the generative power. I think it's simple, man. I think the meaning of life is life. Like, I think the meaning of life is to continue. Like, I think the meaning of existence is to exist. And how do you continue existing? Well, you need the mother, father, morale, yin, yang, generative power to have a child and keep it alive through winter till it can have a child. And then life continues and existence continues. And we go on and we keep playing in this infinite playground that is only limited by what we're able to be conscious of and what beliefs that we apply to it. And, you know, it's not boring because it changes. And as we change and we, we can make whatever heaven or hell we want here. And we do both at all times. And it's beautiful. It's cool. I love it. I love life. I don't feel like a slave or a, you know, I don't feel like uh, I'm being, having my loose harvested. I don't look at a, a lion eating a gazelle and be like, that's proof that this world is evil. Just like, man, you gotta, you gotta get up to get down. You gotta get down <laughs> was, to get up. You know, he was just, just hungry. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's it. Chance. Just live, just live your life, experience everything you can. And, um, yeah, once you break free, if you have the opportunity to break free from that, you know, I don't want to say the matrix life, the womb that was created the by the programming. Yeah. The programming, the womb. Just that put, was Yeah. Just put the Kronos in in the right order, you know, yeah. put your consciousness before your language, get your, yeah. you know, get your grammar before your rhetoric, whatever you want to say. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> but you can be free in any iteration of life in any big city or rural location. Yeah. You already are. It's just like, what posture are you taking? Right. Yeah. No, you're right. That's it. Well, should we should probably wrap it up. There. Let's wrap it up and let's, wrap um, it up. let's do uh, your music choices real quick. Give sure. us some more For and sure. then um, we'll end it. Yeah. So your first one you gave us was uh, Axis Mundi. In the, is the artist Volo? Volo, yeah. Volo, okay. So what made you choose this one? I like this song and I found out about Volo because he's a listener to Interverse and sent me an email. And um, I, I like the song. Axis Mundi is a cool idea you know that if i wanted to elaborate on we'd be here for another long while but volos we're checking out v-o-l-o great dude i think we'll have him on a vibrant soon oh that'd be nice. pretty cool you um your next artist so it's um, is this right k-lab and the booty is that the artist <laughs> uh that's k-lab from the album um the booty galactic okay okay all right but the booty this galactic is the name of the album and the song is called different kind of cold and it features the rappers b dice and def three it's just a fucking cool song what can i say <laughs> just cool it makes you feel fucking super cold cool chilly i'm gonna check that out since it, since it is cold it's already cold here <laughs> yeah it's badass and then the third song i put out there is pendulum nothing for free and uh, pendulum is one of my favorite electronic 
rock hybrid acts. They're so, so awesome. And uh, they had been on hiatus for like 10 years. And in 2020, when things started popping off, all of a sudden they showed up with new music. And this was before things had even gone very far with the scandemic. If you look at the cover art for this, there's like needle, rocket, egg, something going on. It's really weird. But the the lyrics of the song make it pretty clear that like maybe from their position in the industry or something, they knew what's coming, they knew what's going on. And they're like warning you against it. Like uh, <laughs> they're they're basically the song Nothing for Free is like, you know, those jabs that they're offering you for free to protect you, uh, it's not free. There's You're the product. <laughs> it's a really good song. Pendulum's awesome. Yeah, I think I've heard this one. It is Their new stuff is very good. Um, I was shocked, to be honest, with, with, uh, with their, just their change and um, how all this stuff that they're singing about is about what happened in the last two years, even before it even happened. So, yeah, they're, they're a great artist. I've always liked Pendulum. For sure. But yeah, thank you, Chance, so much for joining us again and for talking to us about a topic that we're not so much familiar with, but we're kind of dipping our toes in. And um, it's just fascinating. It's it's a lot to think about and a lot to take in when you first start seeing it or listening to it. But over time, the more you look into it, the more it starts to make sense, like you said. So hopefully more folks will check out Spirit World, check out some of your other podcasts on Interverse where you've had Dylan Scotio on. Um, and yeah. tons of other cool stuff besides yeah. uh, syncretism and language and religion. Oh, yeah. Interverse is great. I Definitely one of my favorites. I like I like Interverse, <laughs> but I also like Vibrant very much, too. So just throw that out there. That, that one's like a fun show. You know, like if you're, yeah. if you're into fun. Yeah, it's the fun show. There's a gravy in it. And it's more casual and laid back and fun. Thank you guys. Yeah. I have to say, I appreciate the quality of witness you guys provided for my ranting flow state because this is a hard topic to describe. And, you know, my ability to access what I know about things and further develop my uh, articulation of it has everything to do with the quality of witness of the captive audience. And you guys really helped me out. And even though it was mostly just me ranting, like I'm telling you, your, your attention energy is high quality. And having that allowed me to give, in my opinion, probably one of the better, better overviews of the subject matter. Although I left so many dangling chads for dead. It's all good. We can always revisit them. And you know, you're always welcome back here. And we will sure. have you back on for sure to talk to get more into this topic because it's, it's never, it's never ending. ending. There's so much to it. But um. Yeah. yeah, we'll do it. Awesome. And and also tuning. People hit me up for a tuning. You can just email me, chance at interversepodcast.com if you want to get yourself uh, tuned up. It's really fun and Highly super valuable. Highly recommend it. Highly recommend a tuning session with Chance. Um, yeah, I got to get on that. I can't that. say enough. It's great. He knows what he's doing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you everyone for listening, watching. Check out Interverse Podcast. Um, message Chance for a tuning session. Enjoy. Oh, and can we throw the spiders out there too? Yeah, yeah. I love to hang so with the spiders. Spiders on Saturday night at... Weaving Spiders Welcome. 8 p.m. Eastern? Time is... Time is time is when it happens. Yeah. Look on YouTube. Yeah, when it happens. Saturday yeah. nights, Weaving Spiders. Webs is the YouTube channel. I try to hang out with them when I can. I've kind of been absent for a couple months, but I got in there last week and I plan on being there tomorrow night too. 
just been so um, absorbed in the uh, audiobook creation that it's been more fun to work on that, but just barely because <laughs> it's really fun to hang with the spiders. Great time. Yeah, that's always a good show. All right, everyone. All right. Thank you. Until next time. Thank Peace. you. Peace. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to another episode of False Reality Check. I'm Buffalo. And I'm Lakes. And we really appreciate you listening. If you want to check us out elsewhere, you can find us on Telegram, t.me, False Reality Check. That's our little chat. Yeah, and we're also on Twitter and Instagram at FRCPod. Feel free to email us. Uh, we love receiving emails from listeners and fellow um, homesteaders. Please email us at FRCPodcast at ProtonMail.com. And then we have the old website, uh, which will be decommissioned fairly soon, but you can still check it out at falserealitycheck.com. And we'll have a central location that we'll be announcing shortly where you can find all of our premium and free uh, podcasts and videos and all that kind of stuff. But we'll make that announcement soon. Thank you guys for listening. We love you and um, keep on listening. Yeah. Appreciate the support. Much love to y'all. Peace.